Isn't it great to, to be part of a church that uh, talks about work? Often you can go to church and you never hear about that. You hear about churchy type things, which are fine, but, but it's great to, to be reflecting on work. And I loved hearing from Glenn because right now Glenn and his partner Bruce are working on my house, the Abbey of the Way. And everything that he says about the character of, of how he goes about doing his work, I can testify that that's the way he does his, his work. And he's helping us in our situation and challenges that Hallie and I face due to her illness. And he's creating an environment in which it's going to make it easier for her to function. I can't wait for him and Bruce to create the sidewalk that's going to go down. The side of our house is going to make it possible for Hallie to get to our patio. You know, just things like that. And, and he's had conversations with us and we with them. Uh, it, it's just a wonderful wonderful, wonderful things. So um, great to have you around the house uh, and uh, sharing the love of Jesus. So as we've been going around the series here, we've been looking at work from three angles, basically paralleling the Bible's picture and journey's emphasis on how we're to love God, love one another, and love our neighbors, including in our work. And so today we're moving into that third section how we can love our neighbors in our work. Now this can really only be possible as we do the first two, as we love God and as we love one another and receive and give the love that goes beyond the usual because it's that self-giving love, that agape love that God has that he shares with us and through us. Then we're given power and that kind of love to love our neighbors, including those we work with and work for. Now, the theme today in terms of loving neighbor is friendship. It's how the love we've been given and the character of Christ is put into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Be friends in relationships with people like bosses, employees, coworkers, customers, clients, fellow pupils, those we work with and those we work for, perhaps in the home. So as Glenn and Bruce hang around our home, they're acting not just like hired hands, but like friends in the way they treat us and our stuff. I love what they've done in our garage. They've restored this old 1890s garage with these heavy-duty folding doors. They've brought that back to life. It hasn't been that way in 50 years, and I lived in that house when I was growing up. Never seen those doors work since those days, and it's just awesome. Uh, they are giving us the best in the work that they're doing for us, not only in the physical stuff, but in just the character that they have. Let me share two other examples of this friendship work ethic drawn from two very different work environments than Glenn is in. Here's John Kennerson. John is the manager of Trewergy Orchards, which is up in Maine. It's a farm that caters to the public, sort of like Tugas Farms over in Northborough. Some of you have been there. This farm caters to thousands of people each week which come into this place looking for a kind of an old-time farm experience, usually with the kids, you know, the petting animals and picking stuff and going back in time and so on. And they've created an award-winning corn maze that a couple of years ago was a, a, a ship, a schooner that was just absolutely astounding. Now, John inherited this business. He got into it that uh, was started by his in-laws, and he eventually got into his position of manager by getting it from his mother-in-law, and that was a little bit challenging to work that transfer out. So it's a family business, so it has certain elements of close relationships in it. 
And John is a high-achieving kind of guy who always gets things done well and so on. But where he's really growing and where he's really having incredible influence is in his relationships with his family members that he works with, as well as those who come and work for him, including some migrant workers who come and do some of the work out in terms of picking things and taking care of stuff, and then they move on. And it's really interesting how he treats them as friends, and really as friends of God. This is meant that when the guests come, they feel something more than just going back in time, you know. They feel this sense that there's something going on here, this kind of love that they're experiencing as they're welcomed and as the staff are well cared for. And it speaks to them about the one who has created this farm and the miraculous things that go on in growing things. So contrast that setting with that of Betsy Cowan, who is my daughter. She works for the Metropolitan Area Planning Council in the Boston Metro West area, a large public-private partnership that helps cities and towns to engage in community planning. She works as a project manager with municipal managers and leaders in various cities. She's currently working in the city of Revere. Can you say that? Revere. She's working in Revere, and Revere didn't get the casino, so they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, and she's creating environments in which citizens can come together from diverse backgrounds to kind of talk about their dreams and visions for what's going to happen in their city. Now, like John, Betsy is a high achiever. She always wants things to go just so, and she creates amazing, amazing settings. But what she also is, she's somebody who values friendship. And so she's always looking to make relationships with the people that she's working with and for. Now, I think I've told you that she sees business like this as the highway for the gospel. Now, some of you may think, well, how can that be? Well, she says that the good relationships that she develops with clients and coworkers can eventually lead into conversations about the deeper things in life, including, on occasion, opportunities to talk about how God has been significant in her life and may be significant in theirs. It amazes me to the extent to which Betsy has developed this network of friends all around Boston and Metro West just by being a good friend at work. So let's consider our personal work settings, whether it's out there somewhere that you work or whether you work in the home. And we're going to have it under the heading of Friends at Work. And we're going to look at this from Jesus' teaching on friendship, which comes from John 15, verses 9 through 17. I think it's page 764 or something like that in your uh, church Bible that's in front of you. You can look it up in, in your machine if you've got it with you. Now, when we talk about friendship, we need to begin at the beginning with God. Now, yes, God is almighty, God is holy other, God is master, God is supreme, but also God is our friend. Jesus, the God-man, our mediator, our advocate, says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He also says, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, if you've been reading the Bible and you've read up to this point, and you haven't gotten it clear, 
that God intends to be your friend, then I think you've missed something. And a lot of people have attitudes about God that come to them more from their culture and their background or experience than it does from the Word of God. The Word of God makes it clear God wants an intimate relationship with you as your friend, sort of like your best friend forever friend. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not as if God is a buddy or God is a pal that you're going to slap on the back, say, how you doing, old Gotti? Good to see you today. No, that's not the way it works. God is a God friend, almighty, and entirely other from us. But he intends to be our friend in a way that will define for us our concept of what a real friend is about and what a human friend is meant to be, not only in terms of a friend that you get, but the kind of friend that you are designed by God to be. All true friendship begins with God. Now, in years gone by in this building, probably when Glenn was here, there would have been a hymn that would have been sung here. I don't know if we've ever sung it here as Journey. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Anybody ever heard that hymn? Let me just read a few of the, of the verses here. Listen to this. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Do, let's see, do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll shield and take thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. Yeah, this hymn certainly calls people to prayer, but more foundationally, it calls us to take hold of the fact that God is, in Jesus is our friend. Now, as he implies in verse 13 of John 15, he laid down his life for you and me. You are never going to find anybody else who will be a better friend than God will be for you. He will love you enough to rescue you, to teach you even when you don't want to be taught, to train you how to live. He will help you even when you say, I'm going to do it myself. He will guide you. He will empower you when you are weak and when you don't know what to do. He will see you safely home. This is the kind of friend that God is. You can count on him yesterday. You can count on him today. You can count on him tomorrow. You can count on him forever. He will be your friend everywhere you go, even when you think he's not there, even when you want to go where he's not, he will show up and particularly he will do so at work he loves to be with you at work and you say well I I haven't felt him there well I'll tell you he's been there why can I say that well imagine this is the website for Jesus the carpenter of Nazareth now he really is like Glenn and his partner for the word carpenter in the Bible in the original language is the word tecton from which we get tectonic plates Jesus work was basically like Glenn he's a builder and probably he worked more than stone with wood because most of the wood in those days was used to make a fire it wasn't you know kind of boards lying around and so on. So he was a builder, Jesus was. He was a craftsman. He was a builder of stone and wood. So in a very human and divine sense, he is uniquely qualified and uniquely eager to be our friend at work because he did that. He was a working stiff for, so to speak, I don't know when he started, probably at his dad's knee. It's amazing. Is he that for you? 
Is he your work buddy, whether you're at school or in some place of employment? Have you invited him to come with you to work and into your work, not just in the relationships that you have in work where you invite him to enter in, but also in the work itself, you asking for his guidance and direction and clarity. He wants to be your friend there, not only for what he can do for you, but as Glenn gave us a picture of, what he can do with you and through you for others. John says in verse 16 of that passage, you did not choose me, I chose you. Well, what did he choose us for? Well, in part, John 15, 15, Jesus says to his followers and to you and me, I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, and notice the word business, Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, what he's describing there is kind of like what happened to Jesus with his human father, Joseph, and Joseph's carpenter business. Jesus inherited the business from his dad because at some point, it seems as if Joseph died. He's no longer in the picture as Jesus moves on in his life as he was in the beginning. And so as Jesus was growing up, it was natural in that culture that he was t- Joseph was teaching him all that he knew about his business, the carpenter business. Jesus didn't kind of get that from on high. It wasn't like he was, poof, a carpenter out of the womb carrying a little T-square or a hammer. He was a human being. He had to learn things like that, and so he got it from his human father, Joseph. And he got the same kind of treatment from his heavenly father. His heavenly father taught, if you will, the human and divine Jesus everything that the father had about his business. And what was his business? What is the father's business? Well, it's just saving a person's life and soul and body. It's saving everybody on the planet. It's, in fact, saving the entire cosmos. That's a pretty big business. It's kind of conglomerate, wouldn't you say? It covers sort of everything. And so what Jesus says is this. Everything the Father has given me about that business, I've given to you guys. He was speaking to the original 12 and the other people who were with him at that time. And so as we read it in the word of God, Jesus is saying, I'm passing that along to you. I want you to be about my heavenly father's business in whatever business you are, whether it be a builder like Glenn or whether it be somebody who's a a physician or a teacher or a student or whatever. I want you to be about my heavenly father's business. That's why I don't just call you servants. Yeah, you serve me and you need to do what I ask you to do because I'm your master and you're my servant. But the servant doesn't know what the heck's going on. They just do what is said, and they kind of go, okay, aye, aye. Well, I've given you in the word of God everything you need to know about the Father's business so you get the rationale of it. So I call you friends, he says. You're my friends. You can go about this. So the scriptures declare this, that we are friends of God. Foundational to our being able to do the business God has given us to do is that we enter into the relationship on which this work is based, which is friendship with God. We are to be friends of God and friends for God. Do you see yourself that way? Do you see yourself as a friend of Jesus, as a friend of God? 
It only comes through Jesus who did lay down his life on the cross for you so that you'd no longer just be regarded as a rebel of God or just as a hired hand of God or a servant of God, but that you could become literally not just a child of God, but a friend of God. And you know, this very day, if what I'm talking about here for some of you here in this room is kind of like you're talking Mars, you know, or Venus. Uh, I've never thought of myself as a friend. And if that's not part of the way you kind of see your relationship with God, if God's kind of the big man upstairs that you come and do worshipy things for, then today's the day when you can enter into that relationship. And all it requires is that you receive this price that God prayed for you so that you would be a friend and that you yield control of your life to him so that you really can be friends. You really can work together and cooperate together. After the service, if you go back there to the prayer area, somebody will help you to to kind of clarify that for you so you can leave today as a friend of God. Now, Abraham was called a friend of God, and it was basically because he talked to God as one talks to a friend. Is is that how you pray? When you pray, do you talk to God as if he's your friend? That means you tell him stuff. You tell him everything. You don't just kind of blow him off with a little religious language every now and then. You actually share your heart with him. Now, there once was a group of Swiss and German believers in the 14th century who called themselves Gott's Freunde, which means friends of God. Now, again, this isn't a clubby, kind of clap-happy sort of thing. Jesus says in John 15, 14, you're my friends if you do what I command. We are friends of the author of life and the master of the universe. And so we cooperate with him in his business of transforming us and other people and the universe in his image. Now, here's a friend of God who is following God's command and transforming a multinational corporation into an agent of transformation. This is Kenneth Fraser. He's CEO of Merck Corporation, the healthcare conglomerate. This guy's a committed Christian. He's a friend of God. Now, he was not always CEO of a company. In fact, he grew up in North Philadelphia, and his mom died when he was 12, and he had a really tough time getting through school. Uh, But his dad and and his family encouraged him. He went on to college. He went on to law school. But then in his law practice, he defended the defenseless. He once got a guy who was on death row for 21 years. He got that guy released because there was no evidence. It was a false conviction, as often happens in those cases. He got that guy free after 21 years on death row. But then he joined the Merck Company as a lawyer, and he rose to the ranks, and now he's the CEO and the chief operator of that company. And in that position, he began to use his friendship with God to redirect the values of the company. Under his predecessor, they'd been cutting research and development in order to increase the bottom line. That put the company at risk, and more importantly, this guy knew that that puts people at risk if we have product that goes out that's tainted as has happened, and so he increased R&D. And the bottom line people were not happy with him. His job was in jeopardy, but he stuck to it because of his principles and because of his friendship with God. And what the result is, that company is not in any trouble these days, as other pharmaceuticals are, and their bottom line has increased, in fact, dramatically. How are you operating in the place in which you work or serve ethically, or morally. If it were illegal in your place of work or in your school to be a follower of Jesus Christ, would you get busted? 
Would you get busted? Because people know there's something different about you. Are people somehow aware of him because of you? Not just because you talk about him, because maybe you're not going to do that, but by what you do, as with Kenneth Fraser. You see, if we're friends of God, then that makes us friends to each other. The Christian Quakers were originally called the Society of Friends. That's a great name. Society of Friends. Maybe that ought to be Journey Church's, you know, kind of under-label. Journey Church, friends of God and friends of each other. The third thing we need to know about this is that we are to be friends. We are to be friends. And we have a responsibility to treat each other as friends, and particularly so in our workplaces. Now, Jesus says we're his friends if we do what he commands us. And then he says, my command is this and he's speaking to believers now, that you are to love each other as I have loved you. Our love begins with God, but it gets practiced next with each other. How does that happen? Well, as you've been reading through the New Testament, have you ever noticed all of the each other and one other phrases? I'm going to read for you, starting in the Gospel of Mark, 50 one another or each other's. Just, just listen to this list. I'm going to read them fast, but you'll get, the, you'll get the gist right away, okay, even at this hour of the morning. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. 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 Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Encourage one another. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with each other. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Love 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 one another. You get the picture? This is what we're supposed to be about. This is what being a society of friends looks like and it like makes life possible it makes life abundant for all of us when we're part of this kind of a community now last week here when dr dave gilchrist was interviewed about his work he said if i had a prescription for anybody it would be this that they'd have a best friend or that they'd have a community of friends well that would be the prescription for you and for me that we become that prescription for one another a community of friends And that doesn't just mean the church that gathers here. It means the church that is actually present where all of you people work. Now, you may say, there's not a believer on the planet where I work. Well, you just watch. I I heard yesterday about a delivery guy who comes and says, hey, have a great day. And he says, every time that guy says that, it's super encouraging to me. And I thought to myself, I bet you that guy's a believer. 
And if I, were, if I were that guy receiving that greeting every day, I'd say, hey, how come you say that to me every day? Now, you may find out something else. Maybe the guy's on drugs. I don't know. But he's happy. And maybe there's a believer there. You get the picture? You can find them. They're everywhere. They show up. God sends them to you because he doesn't want you to be alone. That's, that's the way it works. My daughter Betsy, she's always looking for those people. She's always wondering, ah, is there a believer there? Because she wants to network. She knows that God's going to use that to share his love in that environment and that God's not going to leave her alone. He has many of his friends all over her city and all around here. I wonder if you've been looking for friends of Jesus where you work and are committing to, committed to loving that one another as Jesus has loved you both. Now again, Jesus says in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now when I pastored a church, I can remember saying to the congregation, and in specific situations, one of which was mentioned to me last night when a tree fell on a homeowner's house and they were part of our church, I said to our people, we are never going to let you people go into the toilet. Now that was my kind of fancy language for, we're gonna, not going to let you get into financial ruin or, or not be without an advocate in court or somebody to stand by you in your time of need because that's what church does. That's why church is the greatest thing to be involved in because we're there for each other and then, then it expands to other people. I said that and I believe the same is true here. That if you are in trouble, we will help you. Now, we're not gonna just do it all for you, but we're gonna encourage you so that you can take up the God-given gifts and responsibilities that he's given to you and help you to sort out the tangled circumstances of your life. Now, sometimes those outside of the church family shame us in the way in which they care for the people around them. On the screen now is Aaron Feuerstein, who was the owner and CEO of Malden Mills in Lawrence, Massachusetts. They used to make Polartech fabric, which, by the way, is the socks that I'm wearing are made out of Polartech. It's the most amazing fabric in the world, made out of used soda bottles. Awesome stuff. Now, when the factory burned down in 1995, Mr. Feuerstein, who was a faithful Jew, he took all of the insurance money, it was $25 million, and he spent it not on rebuilding the building, but on making it possible for all 3,000 employees to receive their salaries and all of their benefits for six months. Now, his board of directors told him, that's crazy. You've got to rebuild the building. And he said, no, it's all about the people. And they would never forget that. In fact, he was quoted in an article. He said, I have a responsibility to the workers here. Blue collar, white collar. I have an equal responsibility to the community in which we, uh, which we live. It would have been unconscionable for me to put 3,000 people out on the streets and deliver a death blow to the cities of Lawrence and Methuen. Maybe on paper now, our company is worthless to Wall Street, but I can tell you it's worth more to those people and to those communities. That's just awesome. I, I remember that. He, he, he's my hero. Uh, I think he's died now. But those people will never forget, never forget what he did. Uh, this simple act of self-sacrifice. And it's something that we need to learn and can learn in the fellowship of Jesus because he's all about self-sacrifice. And that little sacrifice that we make for somebody else at work can make all the difference in their life. Tim Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, tells the story of a young woman who was working in Manhattan for a company, and she made a big mistake that she was sure was going to cost her her job. But when her boss went into his superior, he took complete responsibility for her mistake. 
he, he basically said, we made a mistake, not she made a mistake. And it resulted in his losing prestige in the company and losing influence. And she was blown away by this. She went in to thank him because she had never before met somebody who took blame. She said to herself, I've had managers who've taken credit for things that I've done. Yeah, I did that. No, you didn't. She did. But I've never had somebody take the blame. So she went in and she said, basically, why did you do this? And he was very modest and kind of, you know, just kind of futzed around. But she kept after him. I want to know, why did you do this? And eventually he admitted, I'm a Christian, he said. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus took the blame for all the things that I've done wrong. I'm crying. Maybe he didn't cry, but I'm crying because of what he said. He did that on the cross. That's why he said, I have the desire and the ability to take the blame for other people. I, I mean, whoa, just worthy, worthy is that guy. What a beautiful thing. She stared at him for a long time. And then listen to this. She said this. Where do you go to church? Where do you go to church? He told her, I go to Redeemer Church where Tim Keller was pastoring. She went right to church the next Sunday, kept on going, started reading her Bible and became a Christian because this guy did a simple little thing, an act of self-sacrifice that was just amazing. As we co-labor with friends around us and especially with the friends of God when we meet at work, then we're given grace and power to do the last part of this thing which is to make friends for God. Jesus says in John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Now, some of us have achieved great things where we work. Glenn has built some great things with his hands, and he should take pride in that, and so should you in whatever it is that you've done. But that stuff eventually is going to fall apart again, and Glenn will need to come back when he's 80 to fix our house once again. It just has that way, but there is fruit that will last, and the fruit of that guy working in that company, taking the blame in that situation, that's eternal fruit, because that woman has eternal life with God. That's never going to be failing. It's never going to be taken away. It's never going to grow old. It's an amazing deal, and that's what you can have. You can have a legacy of creating fruit that will last. You see, as we engage in business with the give and take of I got something you need and I got something you need. You got money, I got services. You have learning, I need to learn. And as we engage in that kind of stuff, it's a great opportunity for us to engage in opportunities to make friends for God. It can become a conduit where God can give of himself to both parties in which both ultimately are blessed. Take the case now of Sherry McCutcheon. This is a pastor's wife from Menden, but this woman is a powerhouse. I tell you, she is awesome. She runs a little ministry called The Blessing Barn. It's basically a consignment shop that the church takes care of, and it's not in the church building, and publicly it has no public connection to the church. It's just the blessing barn, the thrift store, and the sharing center. Sherry is an amazing businesswoman. She reminds me of a combination of that beautiful woman described in Proverbs 31 and Lydia, who's described in the book of Acts, a woman who deals in purple cloth and largely funds the ministry of St. Paul. Sherry is an amazing 
woman. She knows her business. She does her business beautifully. It's a consignment shop, and so often people come there who need stuff on the cheap. But she doesn't just throw it out on a table. She puts it out beautifully. And her staff are trained to treat the customers as honored guests. It shows in what they do. She knows how to do business, but she also gets up at 5 o'clock every morning to pray, to ask God for direction about how to go about things. When she needs stuff, she asks God. And so it's no surprise. She tells stories of how she prays about some need that they have, and then she gets a phone call from somebody saying, Sherry, you know, I was just thinking about you, and I've got some stuff, and I need to get rid of it, and it's exactly what she's been praying for in the morning. She's just, I just can't get over how amazing this woman of God is. And all of her store profits go not back to the church, but to the local community, and again, incognito. There it goes. She, she once said, it's all about lo- local aid to local need. We work with homeless shelters. We work with the Healthy Families Program, the WIC, the Women, Infants, and Children's Program. Proceeds of the store were used to open a community youth center in Milford. And the store itself acts as a space where people can gather. There are free GED prep classes. There are 12-step programs that meet there. So here she is, making friends for Jesus. Are you willing to do that? Make friends for your work? You know, maybe you don't have the resources that she does. But will you ask him to lead you to those who may need his help? Those who may be seeking him and who may find him in part through you and through others like you who are in your workplace. So, dear friends, we have a friend in God and we have a friend in each other who were sent out to make friends for him, and particularly at work. Let's close as I did the last time when I spoke of this beautiful verse from Philippians 2.13, where it says, God is at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. But I like the way it's sort of pictured there. God is at work. Yeah, God is working. But in particular, God is at work. He's waiting for you there tomorrow morning. He's at work in you there at work, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Remember that as you go to work tomorrow morning. And to prepare for tomorrow, for going back to work, and because this is the last weekend of the month, or the first weekend of the month, we're going to now enter into a friendly communion with God and with each other so that we can go into his world to make friends for him in the week to come. So as the worship team comes forward and the communion ministers do, we're going to remember what we've already heard this morning. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's the kind of love which Jesus showed when he laid down his life on the cross for you and me. There's a depth of love that we often lack in that regard. So in order for us to properly enter into communion today, we need to ask him to forgive us for our lack of love, our lack of love for him and for others and for those around us. So we're going to take a few moments, once we're in place, to be in silence and to confess our sin, our failure to love in word and action so that God might remove any barrier of guilt or shame that would prevent us from receiving his love as we receive this communion because 
We need that love and others need that love through us. So let's take now one minute to acknowledge our sin before him now. I don't know what it is you just brought before the Lord, but I want you to know Jesus is such a good friend that he says this. All those the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never turn them away. And John, the friend of Jesus, says this, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All this is possible because Jesus, our forever friend, laid down his life for those he desired to become his friends. And to make that clear, on the night before he died for us on the cross, Jesus was at a Passover meal with his friends. He took bread and he said to them and to us, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me.